a book where I'm certainly glad the ending got cut short. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Karen, and I do these book reviews to help those people who want to transcend beyond their own mere mortality to gain some interesting knowledge from the books that they are reading. And today I have for you The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea by Yukio Mishima. This book was initially published in 1963, and in the English version, has about 180 pages, although initially it was written in Japanese. It's a story of characters with very romantic notions that end up crunching against the reality of everyday life. There are three principal characters in the book. The first is Noboru, who is a Japanese child around the age of 13, I believe. And he does all the normal things that a child will do. He'll go to school, he'll play with his friends, go on vacations, holidays. But he has this very critical mind, this mindset of examining everything and trying to find the truth of it. There is his mother, Fusako, who is 31 years of age. And she is a widower who has a very successful business in the fashionable clothing design area, importing stuff from overseas and selling it in Japan. And then there is the main character, I guess, in a sense, which is Ryuji, and who is referenced in the title of the book, The Sailor. And he is indeed a sailor who has these grand ambitions. He is looking for something better in the world than what he actually has at the moment and ends up meeting with Fusako and developing a relationship with her. And then there is this complex web of interactions, emotions that occur between the three characters. The plot of the book is relatively simple as there are only three characters. It starts off with an initial meeting on a boat, on Ryuji's boat, where Noboru and his mother Fusako go aboard and they're just looking around and Noboru is fascinated with boats and with sailors as well, with the sea. He is in love with all of these things. There begins an initial courtship between the two adults and this follows a predictable pattern of sailors who will you know, have a short courtship on land, but then need to go out to sea. So they have this idyllic parting where all the emotions, everything seems the sentimentality is at its peak. Then comes the problems when he comes back and he starts losing his way as a sailor. He decides, oh, you know what? I might stay here. I might, you know, I'm falling in love with this woman. So he stays with her. There is this dissipation of or this breakup of Noboru's ideals of what this man is like and how he should be behaving and eventually he has to solve this problem with uh, the help of his gang and this is where it gets up into the end of the book and we are left with a little bit of a cliffhanger as to what would happen next. I touched on the author before we get into the themes and this is an author who is particularly intriguing. I'd heard of him much in the past because of his backstory where he was essentially born into a samurai family with of I guess it's this mixture of the stoic ideals of being very cold-hearted, emotionless and, you know, following your duty and things like this. But then there's this opposite side, which has the the beauty, all these emotions and, and whatnot, which I find is a very strange mix. So it's really quite interesting. It doesn't really dive into politics at all, which I believe the author Yukio Mishima was actually quite heavily involved with. And this book in particular has two parts. There is the summer and then the winter. The summer, I would say, is the more emotional part where it has these intense feelings where it's sort of almost lovey-dovey in a way and very sentimental and you know, wistfully looking out of the sea and all of these types of things. And then the winter portion is the breaking of all of these between, I would say, all of the characters. Every single one of them has in some sense a loss, which then leads on to 
the more emotionless duty side of things, which gets into uh, some violent areas, to say the least. So we have the two sections of the book, and the two themes roughly equate to these areas. So the first is glory, honor attained by notable achievements. And for me, I really was seeing, man, Ryuji needs to back it up. So he is very obsessed with glory. So if I jump here to page 16 and 17, uh, I'll give you an example of what he's talking about. So there's just one thing I'm destined for, and that's glory. That's right, glory. He had no idea what kind of glory he wanted or what kind he was suited for. He only knew that in the depths of the world's darkness was a point of light which had been provided for him alone and would draw near someday to irradiate him and no other. So what's fascinating about this is that he admits he has no special claim, no plan for achieving this. It's just something that was in his head the whole time. It actually really reminds me of Sibylla from the book My Brilliant Career, who also has this ambition, this desire for something more, but has no real practice or place to put it in. And what is striking with Ryuji in this example is that this real destructive element creeps in. So you'll hear many times in the book how he's talking about how he meets this woman and she'll be death to him. And so it's almost like to achieve his glory, he needs the world to to burn down because I think he has enough realization that reality as it currently fits does not entail for him to, to gain this glory. And so the world must change drastically or there must be some element of destructiveness of death for him to be able to realize this glory for it to actually happen. Glory is a pretty fascinating word because for me, it's really quite a selfish aim. It's not really for others. You don't do glorious things for other people, for example to help them or make them better. No, you do it for yourself. So I would almost say in a way that it's just another way of saying fame. Maybe it has some more masculine traits attached to it because you'll typically hear about it in terms of war, the glory of war or of in battle or in sports. It's just got this real push, this drive behind it. However, when I really think of it, I think it's, yeah, it's pretty much just fame. And so it's not something that you would maybe say is great for the world, for example. Adding in the Japanese version of glory, which is very much attached to this samurai culture of fighting, of violence, of doing, you know, proud and honor for your family, for your clan, for your shogun, for whoever it is. So it's quite interesting. I would say it's probably nowadays a bit of an outdated precept, glory and honor. It's not something that you know, maybe it's nice as a touch, but as a fundamental value does seem to lead into these weird areas. And if you look up the history of the author and how he actually ends up dying, it's uh, quite brutal. And you would almost say pretty crazy in a way to really just hammer home this point. You do see in the book that as Ryuji loses his glory, loses this honor, loses this desire for something notable for an achievement in his life, He actually becomes a way nicer person. He used to be very sullen, withdrawn, not speaking with his crewmates on the boats and whatnot. And they notice as he becomes more domesticated, that is, he's becoming a husband figure, a father figure to Noboru, that he is playing with people a lot more nicely. He's actually thinking of other people and that it's not all focused on him anymore. And he is trying to, I suppose, be a better person for his family and therefore extending that out to the world. So the first section, Summer, is more sentimental, is more emotional, focused on glory and honor. Then the second section, Winter, is more inhuman. And I'm saying this is finding meaning through destruction and emptiness. So we see with the other character in the book who's peripheral but important to Noboru is the chief. And so he's part of this gang and the chief is the main 
I suppose, leader of this and he tells them his philosophy and he tries to impart this on them. And so they do some really disgusting things. There's one particular scene where they kill a cat, a kitten, uh, and it's just absolutely brutal the way that they do this they sort of you know kill it bash it to death and then dissect it and are taking out the heart and examining this and trying to take away the normal human emotions the compassion the empathy that is there and replace it with a desire for destruction or emptiness so he tries to inculcate into the gang and we dive into Noboru's mind as he tries to take away his emotions as he tries to not feel the normal things in life to not feel the stinging of words or of embarrassment or anything like that and become a almost monotone gray character who can just drive straight forward so there is also this rebellion against the father and Noboru is really happy in a way that he avoided the the plague that are fathers because all the fathers of the other members of the gang are you know rich they don't care about their children they're embarrassing they're all of these things and so it's almost a rebellion against father and if you really wanted to take it to extremes against god against the the patriarch in in a way now this inhumanness that Noboru starts to feel was not always there it's exaggerated through betrayal so initially he was I would say searching. He did have meaning in the sea, in men, in sailors, in these sentimental notions. But as he learns more about Ryuji and Ryuji disappoints him on a couple of critical factors, which uh, seem to be a bit exaggerated, but hey, that's just how it appears to the 13-year-old boy. Then he starts losing all of these things that are connecting him to the world. So he is drawing more down into this path of destruction and emptiness. I wouldn't say this philosophy is anti-human in a way. It just seems to lack compassion. So when they look at Ryuji, he's not a man, for example. He's just a problem that needs fixing. So that is what happens at the end of the book. They take him to this secluded location. They drug him and we never find out what happens because the book ends. And man, thank God for that because I really didn't want to read what probably happens after that. But there is no fighting against him and trying to take away his humanness or anything. It's almost like if there's, you know, the ideals of humanity on one end, the opposite on the other end, this is just trying to find that middle bit of emptiness of saying, hey, there's just problems in life and we're going to fix them sort of thing. We sail into my personal observations. And the first for me is that, damn, this is really full of sentimentality. It's really full of emotions and feelings and all of these things, which I was not expecting because knowing the history of the author or the rough history of the author, I thought it would be much more along the samurai side of no emotions, no feelings. You get the job done, you slice your enemies to death and, and whatnot. So it was intriguing looking at that and I did find it a bit hard to believe in a way because for example the 13 year old characters Noboru and then also the chief and the rest of the gang they spoke like seasoned philosophers they were getting very deep they were examining the world in all these different ways probably thoughts that I've never even had you know and I'm 29 years old so it really just was almost disbelieving in a way because I went ah did can 13-year-olds even think like this? Like maybe they can't be as eloquent as, as this for sure, but can they even conceive of these concepts of of the world in a larger scale? Because I don't know, at least for me, when I was that age of 13, I had no capacity to really think of anything outside of myself and my immediate friend group and the larger philosophical things in life. A definite takeaway and a cemented learning for me is that expectations without communication will inevitably lead to this bullshit hurt and pain. So 
there's so many times the characters in the book have these unspoken expectations of what another character should do i.e noboru of how the sailor should behave and not you know be splashing water on his face and be dripping and smiling like a fool and these tiny little bits of communication which he doesn't express so there's no way that ryuji is going to be able to to fill these expectations and all of the characters do this with the others and it just leads to pain and hurts so if you have expectations make sure they're stated clearly and that they're not just something hidden deep inside of you waiting for an unknowing betrayal all of the characters end up getting betrayed one way or another but it's their own fault they're not communicating their expectations so when another character does something unknowingly it's like oh the pain in my chest ah the hurt so i found that kind of ridiculous and this is not just a japanese thing i would say it's worldwide where that sort of lack of communication leads to hurt feelings but i'm just wondering if the asian culture in particular is aggravated with this sense of you know not having enough communication between father and son or husband and wife for example my final observation is that in some books even though there might be a lot of other themes to explore if you don't have enough knowledge on it it's going to be difficult to do so i'm sure for example there are indications in here about world war ii and about politics maybe and even the author and grander things on a cultural scale but because i really don't know that much about japanese culture or the author or even the world war ii and japanese scenario other than some cursory knowledge i'm not able to really appreciate that from the book even though it's probably in there so in summary it's an idealized emotional perspective of the world from those who should and shouldn't know better so i would say the adults probably should have had by this stage learned hey if you have this idealized perspective it's probably going to get broken and then noboru who is quite young is only 13 years old you know what he probably shouldn't know better because he's so young that he might expect this is how the way the world works i really like the three-pronged storyline i didn't talk too much about fusako but she was also a driving character of the book and had some interesting themes arise with her interactions with the japanese culture and what it is to be a, a japanese woman and i would say this book is good for that you do learn a fair bit about japanese culture now i personally wasn't too put off by the gore but i didn't enjoy it either and i would say that this book is not for the squeamish so if you hate gore if you hate blood and and if you are a real animal lover, you probably won't want to read the one section in this book where there is a the death of a of a cat and a kitten, and it's it's quite awful. Other than that, I'm giving the book a very solid six and a half out of ten. Uh, it was interesting. I just wouldn't put it high up there in terms of the best books that I've read. So, mere modelites, we've come to the end of another book review, and I really do want to thank you for joining me up until this point. If you'd like to hear more, you can hit follow or subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening on. And if you could go over to Apple and iTunes and leave five stars and a nice review, that really does help me out. To interact or connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Mere Mortals Podcast. And other than that, I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.